Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm James Newbold, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's Thursday 13th of May, and on today's podcast, I'll be talking to sports car racing legend Tom Christensen. Also on the show today, we talk about how his Big Nine manifesto shaped his team interactions at Audi Sport, Tom's determination to race at the 2007 Le Mans 24 hours after a violent DTM shunt at Hockenheim, why he's at peace with missing out on Formula 1, and his thoughts on the future of sports car racing. Tom has now released his memoirs in English, with contributing chapters from esteemed journalists including Autosport sports car correspondent and fellow presenter today, Gary Watkins. Gary reported on each of Tom's Le Mans victories and was part of his pit crew during a British Touring Car Championship race at Silverstone in 2000. How did you get on, Gary? Tom won the race. So, uh, uh, well, Tom won both races, but I only really had a part in the second one, the the nighttime pit stop race. Uh, It was a double header. The second race was a night race, a pit stop race. Uh, during which uh, was it just? I, I do believe it was just two tires had to be changed. Am I am I correct there, Tom? Yeah, you had the choice of just two tires, but tires, I, I was yeah. just focused on the pit crew because I've never seen a, a a shaken pit crew like that. It was kind of you could see the nervousness of one man, and and that must have been. <laughs> him. So to hit the right spot in the pit lane was uh, was was a bit uh, tricky for me. My job was to rip off a Velcro strip from the back window and also be the fireman, which entailed holding a fire extinguisher and ripping off a Velcro strip from the rear, one of the rear windows, which showed uh, that the car had made the pit stop. And that was my job. Uh, 
and the engineer of the car, uh, Greg Wheeler, uh, a feisty South African, got very upset that I was going to do this and was convinced I was going to uh, mess it up. Thankfully, uh, Malcolm Swetnam, the team manager, said, he, I remember he, ta- he took me to one side and said, do you want to do it? I said, well, I've practiced it. It's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> surely I can't screw up. And he goes, okay, I'm putting my... I'm putting my ass on the line here, he said. And he basically pulled rank on uh, um, the engineer, Greg, Greg Wheeler. And I always remember the other engineer was Phil Barker, who was sort of on loan from um, RML at the time. And uh, Phil came up to me and he goes, just remember, if you screw up, turn around, keep running, and don't stop until you lock your front door behind you. <laughs> but I didn't screw up, and Tom won the race. We didn't have the, any high beam on the headlights, so we were we, we they had other problems to deal with than you. So, uh, yeah, luckily you did well, and I'm very happy <laughs> for that, Gary. But uh, if you had screwed up as well, it would have been uh, a very very long winter. Actually, it would have been winter lasting until now because it was a very final uh, of the Super Touring uh, uh, era. It's a fantastic piece of memorabilia, Gary. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't include it in your um, Christmas feature on on, uh, on pieces of motorsport memorabilia. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to say I prefer my 956 uh, Porsche uh, front left upright. No no disrespect, Tom, but it's just, it's just a very tactile thing. And it's also very good at opening... Uh, holding doors open and holding books up and that kind of thing. And I could clonk an intruder on the head with it as well uh, if, if, if the need arises. So it's, 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 it's got a dual, it's got multiple purposes. Well, that took a, uh, an unexpected turn. <laughs> um, Tom, you recently released a new and updated memoir uh, titled Mr. Le Mans um, uh, in English after a f- first run a few years ago in Danish. Um, I reviewed the book recently for Autosport magazine, and it's well worth a look for anybody who wants to find out more about your career with lots of stories that I didn't know about, like the lifting problems for the BMW V12 LMR at Le Mans in 1999, which uh, a race became famous for uh, the problems that the Mercedes had, uh, of course, with Peter Dunbreck flipping into the trees. Um, what convinced you to embark on this project? Was it something that you yourself pushed or did you need to be uh, encouraged to tell your story which is quite a story i was encouraged uh, i mean, uh, i was encouraged by dan who uh, who approached me uh, right after i i finished my career uh, um, during 2015 and it took me um, a couple of years to digest on it and his idea was to make a, a book about um, let's say me, and not necessarily my racing, but about how it uh, evolved. Uh, being born in the gas station with my family, uh, my my dad, my mom, and how it sort of went the direction it took. And then he interviewed a lot of people uh, close to me in that uh, in that process, and um, that kept me curious. And also, as I I got to know. Uh, some of the questions which was matured from other people and um, and 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 after it then won the 
Sportsbook of the Year 2018 in Denmark. I thought, all right, it can't be that bad if 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 so many people uh, have read it. Um, I just uh, wanted a bit more uh, motorsport added to it, and then I suggested um, some journalists, and some of them he then. Uh, uh, to contact uh, with, and and one of them is uh, is certainly Mr. Sports Car Gary Watkins, uh, and uh, I'm very very happy that he and other two uh, Charles Bradley uh, for, um, uh, and and Niels Fenderup they agreed to add uh, their personal view to the story without sort of um, they could write more or less whatever um, whatever they wanted as long as it was their own experiences uh, from racing. And uh, I have to say that is a considerable uh, contribution to the book from those three gentlemen as well. So um, in that sense, I, I'm, I'm quite happy and very, I don't know, it's maybe proud is not the word, but I mean, I, at least I have been uh, happy with the, with the process uh, of, um, of what is now um, out for sale. It's it's definitely an interesting book in in the as you say the the narrative is split between uh, Dan Philipson your, your co-author um, in almost a, a biography style then interjections from you with your personal experience which is like an autobiography and then the contributing chapters from um, as you say from Gary from Charles and from Nils Vinderup um, Gary bringing it back to you I mean what do you remember about being approached to do a chapter for the book, did it sort of take you by surprise, given that you're not necessarily known for writing books, more just for um, contributing, uh, you know, to, to autosport? They approached me really about doing something quite personal, what personal about my own moments that I think were pivotal, pivotal in Tom's career, but also perhaps pivotal in my life as well. And one of those, of course, is Tom's first Le Mans win in 1997. And I really like one of the quotes that you included in, in your segment, Gary, from Ralph Yutner of, of US Racing, who would later run the Audi program, of course. Um, and talking about Tom's first win, he said that his development over the course of the race was what really startled him going from basically a, a Le Mans nobody in terms of, you know, he was a race winner in Formula 3000 at that point, uh, you know, highly regarded in single seater racing, but not necessarily in sports cars. And from there, becoming a, a serious star overnight. And I mean, you covered that race. You made your introductions to Tom um, a few days before. Um, and little did you know, I suppose, that you'd be going on to to write about him for the next, uh, most of the next two decades. Yeah, rest of my life, probably. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, Ralph tells the story uh, in 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 that little chapterette about Le Mans '97 in the in the Yerst Porsche WSC '95, uh, and it's it's you know he perhaps tells it better than I do, but um, I just remember looking at the timing screens when uh, Tom was uh, he was then into a triple stint, and um, suddenly it was like fastest lap, and then it was fastest lap and fastest lap. Uh, the, I think uh, Ralph remembers it a little bit better because he said because he he remembers that there were if one star appeared next to the name of the driver or next to the time on these very old fashioned timing screens because we are talking about a long time ago it meant it was the fastest lap for the car 
And then if it was two stars, it meant it was the fastest lap overall. And I think pretty quickly in that third stint, it we, we saw one star, but then we saw two stars and then we saw two stars again and then two stars again. Uh, Tom set a sequence of uh, fastest laps and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say it's five, but I've probably plucked that uh, out of the depths of my memory, but it was just one of those amazing things. And, uh, and we're thinking, wow, this is, yeah, we better, we better, we're probably going to be writing about this guy for uh, some time to come. I mean, Tom, the book covers the the really obvious things like that, the the high points, but it also covers, you know, the hardships, um, the family bereavement and the legacy of the Hockenheim 2007 accident that, that you have even today. How did you find that process of, of sharing these quite intimate details with the world? After retirement, everything is open. There's no there's, there's no secret. It has been a fantastic journey. So in that sense, uh, reflecting on it is uh, was actually quite valuable. I would say it was even even the even kind of um, of nice and 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 even let's say an an, an accident like uh, like the Hockenheim uh, certainly uh, has an uh, an impact on my on on my life. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, I have no problem uh, to revisit um, these scenes. The comeback from the accident uh, at Hockenheim, and something I didn't know until much, much later, uh, was that you, the final sort of your final decision to do to do the to do Le Mans uh, in 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 the June was made after you drove the DTM taxi at Brands Hatch, which was just the week before Le Mans. And, and obviously it was kept secret. And I know that you wanted to drive a car and Dr. Ulrich wanted uh, you to drive a car. Just sort of tell us, a, tell us that story because, yeah, it, no one knew about it at the time, and I guess for obvious reasons. I was resting in, my, uh, in our summer house and I was, really, I was really sleeping a lot. I had a lot of aftermath issues. Uh, but uh, as as Le Mans was was heading closer, and it was it was tough to to stay away from the pretest, and I, I was starting to cycle a bit. But I always was getting very dizzy or getting headaches, and um, I convinced myself that it was getting better. And on the Thursday, um, let's say ten days be- before the Le Mans race would start, I went to one of my friends who has an indoor karting center and I went there and, and drove around in the, in the go-kart. Um, uh, I, I, I took the kart around, uh, did it the, uh, the, the opposite way. I did uh, push-ups and I did different things and, and I didn't feel great, but I, I, I felt I had passed the test to say, all right, I can, I really want to head back to Le Mans. And I, I called Dr. Ulrich and he said, he, he was not really a fan of the of the idea at the time. Uh, Matthias Ekström was already uh, in line to make his debut and had been there at the pre-test. So I had to show a lot of uh, de- determination and commitment. Uh, so we agreed, uh, come to Brands Hatch and we will. Uh, I would like the doctor to see you after you've done some laps. And then I did the, the, um, the test in the DTM car. I mean, the, the, the DTM um uh, so let's say the the um, the spare car, and I did it with my engineer Franco. And um, the feedback after um, 
a couple of laps, I gave feedback on the car, and 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 the lap times were 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 okay. And in that sense, I I came in, and um, and the decision right there was taken. All right, you on you on for Le Mans. That was the Saturday before we I fl- I flew to Le Mans on the on the Monday afternoon. It's a brilliant story, Tom, and I mean the the determination to to do that um, race. Of course, the the wheel falling off, costing you the the win there, which would have been a, a remarkable story. Um, that determination really kind of shows throughout the book with the um, the different challenges that that you faced at, at different points, um, taking big career decisions like moving to Japan and um, joining Audi when it maybe wasn't looking so good for that program based on a fairly mixed performance in 1999, but it. What the book really shows, I think, is the the thinking side of, of Tom Christensen, the driver. And I was fascinated to read your your big nine points, which you said in the book that Dr. Ulrich didn't even really know existed for, for most of your time at Audi. And, and I'll just read them for reference because I think they're really interesting points for, for anybody who's listening to know kind of what drove Tom and um, what he personally thought was was important, what, what he describes as as a manifesto. And that's define your own dream, know your goal and make it apparent to everyone. Define your sub goals on the way to your main goal. Define roles and rules at the same time. Respect others' potential and worth throughout the process. Be prepared, be honest, exhibit discipline and dedication. Believe in yourself and give others self-confidence. Show responsibility, take responsibility, exhibit strength, and the five P's, proper preparation, prevents poor performance. Now, Tom, when did this really start to take tangible form from just being points that you picked up along your way to something that you actually wrote down and and really began to follow? I think it really started in in, in 2008. And one, we came to Sebring, the first race of the year, and then it said 5P on the rear wing. And that was uh, Michel Picard, the gearbox um, uh, mechanic on, on, on the car, um, really a good mechanic. And he explained, you don't know the 5P. And then he explained the story of proper preparation uh, prevents poor performance. And that was all the, the manifest sort of from the, the mechanical side, the people who was working on the car. Uh, but over time and over years, I mean, I, my first Le Mans, as you described before, was, was, was with Michael Alboreto, Stefan Johansson, very experienced drivers. And over the years, I became more experienced and also younger teammates uh, were were coming in. I would say the most balanced uh, team I drove was, of course, with, with Dindu and Alan, uh, Capello and Magnish. We were more or less uh, similar experience and similar age. Um, but... Over the years, particularly when I, with Bentley, we had Guy Smith coming along. I had Seiji Ara coming in with, with Team Go. And over these, it was new mechanics as well. And then the following year with Champion, also experienced teammates in, in the way with JJ and with Marco Werner. But again, new mechanics. So it was, I think, in, it was in those process of these years after uh, my uh, my first years with, um, with, uh, with Audi Sport. Um, and it was happening a lot on the travel. It was more or less to visualize uh, problems or sometimes there was some, you can say, confrontations or you can say potentially there was something which I thought could maybe be a problem when it really 
got down to to racing or there was sometimes maybe a little bit of uh, starting could be a little bit of you know within the group a little bit of blaming that let's say we need them to be better here or or vice versa so it was more to get these let's say putting persons hands on uh, this sort of culture to make sure that we never popped out of the perfect teamwork and i i uh, just started to to mature that um over the over the years and every year was of course different sometimes i didn't need to think a lot about it and other years i i very much sometimes felt i stepped in to to sort of try to optimize things or even uh, a few times maybe to 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 change uh, uh things going forward i've always thought your your um victory with uh team go in 2004 at le mans was a special one and i know dr ulrich rates it very highly i think he he, he has put it as the the most impressive significant best whatever of of, of your nine um but i just think how how the team was turned from sort of a team that didn't look particularly good in the uh, LMES, as it was, the Le Mans Endurance uh, Series, um, to a team that, that, that won Le Mans. And, and uh, I know that you played a very crucial part in, in moulding the team. Do you, do you, is, would you say your philosophy played a very active role there that year in, in 2004 with the, the Go Audi R8? I would say that it was. Uh, we 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 have to make sure that they believed in winning, and uh, and and there was of course uh, it was. I think eighty percent of the mechanics were 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 Japanese. They came over from Japan, lived um, uh, near Ingolstadt, working on the car being in a completely different and, and difficult environment for, for them. So it was very much getting them confidence and self-confidence enough uh, always to, I would say sometimes it was to give the right feedback on the car. They would set up the car and, and we would you would ask exactly this, the numbers on the set of the car, but they were, um, they were measuring, measuring the, 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 the main different than some of the Europeans did. And in many ways, there was you had to go through that and, and really um, sometimes um, have to be very strong with, uh, with words. And at the same time, you had to indulge that both discipline, but also the culture of, of having them believing that they, they could win. So um, we were trying to give all of that but certainly also Dindo and and Seiji played a a very important uh, role in that um Joe Hausner was there as an an, an engineer so i would say it, it was it was very much the 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 teamwork um uh, which brought the team forward but uh, yes that was changed a few persons uh, around not necessarily because we we, we 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 desperately wanted to, but we on the other hand we we felt we had a, such a short time and we had so little track time that we needed to do uh, 
to do the things. And 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 probably there, Gary. I, I yes, I um, I knocked on the door at uh, at Mr. Go to to ask for um, a, a few changes along the way. Do you rate that as one of your best Le Mans wins? I mean, do you, I mean? I guess that's the part of the wider wider story. Do you, do you, do you rank them at all? But I mean, yeah. I certainly was impressed at the time, and I know Dr. Ulrich, as I, as I said, uh, puts it right up there. Uh, I do. It was a nice one-car team, and um, with just these um, 14 people in the garage, it was, um, it was a, very, uh, a very good year. And also with, uh, yeah, as you said, I remember um, how let's say how slow the car was at 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 Monza at the very first race of the, that season and um, also i remember that we actually were behind a lap down after um, not not long into the race due to a, a brake issue which um, which got uh, capello stuck in the in the in the gravel but we we managed to solve that and 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 putting pressure on the um, on the leaders during the night and we were able to really uh, on Sunday morning to uh, have a car which was uh, going very fast. One of the things I didn't know about that race, Tom, was, as you reveal in the book, was where Dindo has his his belts loose um, and he's kind of not able to do the lap times and you're thinking, well, what's going on here? And then he comes back into the pits kind of white as a sheet. Um, I just thought, yeah, that that was a really interesting thing to... To reveal in, in the book, I'm not sure how widely known um, that was, but just another kind of element to, um, you know, the, the the team spirit that actually, yeah, it probably wasn't really safe for, for him to carry on, but he he had the confidence in himself that he could kind of keep it on the road. Where if he'd had an accident, that would have been potentially uh, potentially really serious. Yeah, he had to come out after that stint, uh, which was not planned. He was normally going longer, but. This tells how much you are prepared to do for for your your team, and that's of course something which uh, tells uh, a lot of also what a what a strong person uh, Capello Capello is. And uh, yes, um, not many people um, know about that. Not many people should know about that, and not many people should take notice of that. Uh, certainly, but um, at the end of the day, it's a fact and. That's why it's in the book. You obviously you said in in the book that that you didn't really tell people about it because you didn't want to seem uh, about the, the 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 big nine that is because you didn't want to seem like you were preaching at people or, or whatever. Were there ever points where you felt tempted to just say to people, just look at this and and learn from this because you know it was developed over years of of experience. Were there ever points where you thought actually? People can really learn from from this. Yeah, but it's just to talk about in the, in the different points. I mean, it's it's natural for for us, particularly also in generally at Audi, when we jump out of the car, you don't just just leave the the garage. You you make sure you have a good camaraderie with the with the mechanics, explaining how the car is behaving. Uh, certainly the good points, but then just mess in and 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 make sure you explain where the car could be better uh, and 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 that gives a, a very good relationship and generally for any racing driver that you have this um this information flow 
with your mechanics and, and engineers. This certainly at a race uh, like Le Mans, that that's very important. And um, I would say it it just becomes that they should more or less want to win uh, the same like the the drivers. They, it should not be just become um, a shift work or a, a, a job. You want everyone in the in the pit lane and the garage to to feel absolutely um, focused and passionate about doing their job, and that comes with communication, and um, and 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 it just it it just comes down to the goal that you the goal is to win, and you have to make it apparent to 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 everyone, and uh, the direction you take in testing. Um, is always you have a, a lot of, uh, let's say, sub-goals, and they can be different. Sometimes you want the lap time before you want reliability. Other, other times you, you want it the other way around. That is some kind of major sub-goals along the way. Um, and sometimes they are dictated from the, from the, the team. Sometimes they're dictated from the manufacturer. But at the end of the day, it is uh, the personal and the human uh, flow for 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 the team to 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 make that performance, and at the end of the day, make it work or not. Tom, I suppose, wasn't just the driver who was able to do the lap turns, but he was able to to think about the bigger picture while he was in the car. Um, we we touched on Le Mans earlier, uh, Le Mans ninety seven earlier, when he was doing those lap record times on the third stint tires. But he was also really good on fuel, so he had all the different things that that are needed to be the ultimate sports car driver. Yeah, clearly we started seeing that a little bit in 97. Uh, I think uh, I think Ralph told me that uh, Tom was very good good on the fuel that year, but clearly he, he I, okay, it was, it was an optimum time. Um, you know, it was, it was sort of happy hour, wasn't it? There was, it was a good time to be on the, on the track, but there was Tom doing, doing the times on the third, uh, stint on the tires and um and not only that but he then stayed on them for a fourth stint uh which you know at the time was unprecedented you know no one did four four stints on a set of set of tires in those days so i think we got an inkling of this of the skill set uh that tom had and perhaps tom didn't even really really know he knew he had did you know you had it you know i mean you know, you were new to sports car racing. I mean, were you were you consciously thinking about the fuel? I mean, clearly you'd you'd raced in Japan, and I think that probably gave you a lot of insight into tires because uh, and tire development because there's a lot of, a lot of tire development went out went on in in Japan in in those days. But were were you thinking about those things? You know, making the tires last, uh, the fuel. Did you we? Was were you subconsciously thinking I, I've got to do all these things at the same time as mastering an eight eight and a half mile circuit that's pretty bumpy, got lots of uh, uh, strange cambers, uh, and then of course throwing the weather to that and racing at night. A little bit, I mean, uh, but I think also there, Ralf Hüttner was a bit instrumental in in because I remember he 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 said to us in the. With the with the lap times I had done in the evening, um, if if it was possible, uh, it will I would be very close to do another another lap on the on on the fuel. Um, so when I went in again at, at night, 
uh, it was in my mind that if I was not able to go faster, which of course would, for me, not be expected as I go into the night, and um, and, and and driving at night, I was able then to do this uh, uh, this lap more on the on the fuel, and uh, where it was, it was to give the confidence of of lifting and coasting just a little bit before. Uh, before the braking coming from high speed. And uh, that was enough just to leapfrog um, um, that of, of going another another lap. But it was the mental thing of confidence of lifting the throttle when you're going flat out. And at the end of the day, you always want to go faster. But but to be honest, the coasting with the, with the Porsche was, was still very fast. And, um, and that probably... Uh, even help the, the the consistency in braking, and at that time that was the only thing I did the the very first year. Of course, over time and also in the American Le Mans series, there was different things about if you could be a bit more, let's say, uh, smooth with the throttle. Of course, things like that helps as well. But but at the end of the day, uh, saving fuel is 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 <laughs> is kind of easy in in terms of if you can get yourself to lift. Uh, from the high speed into the slower speed and making sure you keep a very high momentum because you don't want to you don't want to save fuel uh, if it gives away lap time and that is where the um, let's say the difficulties start you you were always a right foot breaker until until relatively late in your career i'm correct in saying that aren't i yes i was um i did a little bit in the end of the R, uh, the r8 uh, left foot braking, but then when we ba- went to the TDI uh, from 2006, I, definitely right foot braker. That was, of course, a beast to control in uh, in any direction change or in anything uh, trying to slow the car down. But um, I did a little bit of left foot braking with the champion year, uh, uh, Sebring with champion in 2005, uh, and then progressed in, but, but still at the uh, at, at at Le Mans, but then when we go into the R18, um, that was you put all the momentum into uh, into the corners, and in that sense, left foot braking became a, a vital part of being, um, um, let's say, being fast with those cars. And that was um, left foot braking the last then four four or five years of my career. Am I right in saying that the sort of the the R eighteen, or at least the last iterations of it, you 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 physically couldn't uh, right foot brake in that the 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 cockpit and the pedal setup didn't allow it. Uh, just in the last uh, two years, I think. Then there oh, was okay. no, and also in the last year, you had the clutch in the in the steering wheel, so you just had two pedals. So it made sense that you could set them a bit apart, and you could have a. Uh, let's say the perfect cockpit cockpit layout uh, for uh, for your feet in that sense. So absolutely correct. It, it was not it was not strange for me to left foot brake as I had done in uh, DTM and even in super touring car at stages uh, was when I um, in 1999 was when I really uh, started to go down the alley of of left foot braking in the Honda in the STW. Uh, that was the first year where I was sort of really committing to it instead of just using it at a at a few sections around a track uh, trying to optimize it even though you didn't really know if it was a, a benefit or not but um, 
let's say, definitely in DTM, I was left foot braking all the time. I'm really interested in this. How, how does it work going from like left foot braking in one car to to then going back to another car and right foot braking? Is is it is it quite hard to make that transition when you're already uh, transitioning from between two different types of racing car? You know, a DTM car uh, and a sports car. They're 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 not exactly similar. Or when you were racing a front wheel drive super touring car and this and uh, a sports car and you're doing left foot braking in one and, and right foot braking in the other is that is 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 that quite a difficult thing to do i i think that's that's definitely the the, the challenge but right from being in japan i was used to uh, jumping from a formula 3 car to a nissan skyline a four wheel drive uh, group a car and then vice versa around uh, around those those years so i think it's always something which uh, i needed to to be able to <laughs> to overcome sometimes it was more difficult than others uh, but when you are in it you are focusing on trying to optimize it i would not say that you you find it you f- you find it dif- different and i find it challenging but i'm also motivated about it i like this thing that we are challenged and and we have to show our versatility i think that is something which i think in generally have have extended my career but uh, but there's no doubt that i love the benefit of what we had in those sort of noughties that if you were able to go fast and i would say relative fast to what you normally would if it was left foot braking or right foot braking, if you could save a little bit of fuel at the same time and you were able to go longer and it would give you a an, um, thumbs up on the strategy and it could give you and the car a benefit on the long term, this was very motivating. And I think that was really what I uh, I absolutely loved about endurance racing, that you could try to um, optimize your driving around something which not only gave you an advantage in, in speed, and if it didn't give you an advantage in speed, it would then give you another lap. This was, uh, this was something which I really enjoyed. Do you think the foundation stone of your success was Japan and it, it taught you so much? And I've, I've heard this from a lot of other people, perhaps people who um, were in Japan slightly later and perhaps didn't do the quite so many uh different categories as you did but it seems to be a very positive experience uh for every everyone who does it everyone who japan, that japan was uh, was fantastic the time uh, when i went there was was really brilliant also for my also for my career i had been there just taking part at a small test with toms with some different drivers and um but didn't get the didn't get the seat uh, I had no experience. I was more or less straight out of karting. But then I won the German F3 championship with Bertram Schaeffer. And and suddenly then I had opportunities in Japan. And I went then to to, to drive for Tom's. And I my contract over these uh, five years was based around Tom's. But I did different, uh, different cars, different circuits, uh, different teams. Um, and for sure, this were, that's where I really... Uh, let's say matured, and I um, with driving all all those different disciplines. I guess the one thing that we haven't mentioned, of course, Tom, is is Formula One. Now I've heard you say 
fairly recently that you're actually you're at ease that, that you didn't race in Formula One uh, and actually you came top in autosports ranking of the top 50 drivers not to race in Formula One that we did back in 2013. Um, you have plenty of near misses as the book kind of details. Um, but through all those near misses, what did it teach you? And are you in some cases glad that actually you didn't end up being lumbered with you know, a 1997 Minardi or a, a 1998 Tyrrell that you know would have got you through the door, but maybe no further than that and potentially cost you some of the opportunities that you had in sports cars? Yeah, I, I, if it's cost opportunities I had, it would be, but but certainly it was it was my dream and, and maybe a little bit naive dream from, from Denmark at that time. Uh, there, there was nothing to to back a Danish driver politically or, or let's say, or, 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 or um, there was, there was, there was no money towards uh, that at all. There was no understanding of that. So I was very happy with the, with the way it went. And, and, and that's also, um, it, it, it's a direction which I, I had a, a dream and I was trying, I was happy to try and testing, uh, did many tests, uh, which is very much described in the book. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I have no regrets at all. But I hoped at the time and was disappointed at times that um, money is, was obviously a lot more worth than uh, than a word and a handshake at times, which um, which I kind of understand. Do you know how many? How many kilometers, miles, or, or whatever you've done it, testing Formula One cars? Because you did all that work with Michelin, uh, sort of around uh, twenty years ago. I mean, have you ever totted it up? Because it must—I guess it must be tens of thousands of kilometers. Uh, it was. It was very close to exactly that number in that year, uh, but that was by far also the most. The others were were relatively short. Sometimes it was. Uh, I mean, with with Williams at Magnico, I think it was a two day test. It was also a two day test with Minardi in the in December in Barcelona, and there was all the cars at the at the track at the time. So this was something where you could say you were. I was very close to uh, to be signed, but at the end of the day, yeah, money money paid way for uh, for some others, and and I I didn't I didn't have them. I didn't have the backing. And at the end of the day, uh, my sports car career, that's, I'm, I, I was very happy and I was incredibly, um, yeah, fortunate to, uh, to be there. I mean, as you say, though, Tom, I mean, it didn't really turn out too badly in the end and, and just the nine Le Mans wins to your credit. Um, sports car racing at the moment going through a, a, a massive period of change. Um, we've got the LMDH. Um, rules coming into play for 2023, joining the hypercars that are new for this year. Um, Audi, of course, um, set to make a return there. How excited are you for for the new era that's coming? And do you see yourself having a, a potential role with the Audi um, return in the future? I think it's uh, it's it, it's great. Every everything is heading towards uh, Le Mans 2023, 100 years anniversary, and you will you 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 see. A lot of manufacturers. You see a lot of people in the boardrooms around the world uh, taking their name and brand uh, towards Le Mans, and I think it's it's uh, what, what is the fundament of that is, is let's say the good 
cooperation uh, and respect between the the ACO, uh, WEC, and of course FIA, uh, together with uh, with with IMSA and 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 America. So uh, having that orchestrated into the hypercars and the LMDH. Uh, that's very much the way going forward. And I hope this relation will continue, um, yeah, even beyond, of course, uh, to have a very good, uh, let's say, BOP between those uh, uh, fantastic sports cars. So, yes, I can easily uh, see myself uh, having a role in that. It interests me. I love the race. And it's um, it's really um, a great uh, boom coming back towards the 100 years. It's interesting because obviously Alan has a role in the uh, Audi Formula E setup and he's done fairly well as a, as a team manager, uh, team principal type figure. Is that something that, that you see for yourself or, or do you kind of prefer to be in this role now, sort of a little bit um, unencumbered, I suppose, doing ambassadorial things? We will see how, how things... Uh, I, I can easily see me in, in, in let's say, an, a lot of... Uh, depending on our opportunities and um, I can easily see myself being more engaged towards the, let's say the, the tactical, uh, the strategically things, uh, but certainly also in having worked with the, with the drivers over many years with, with Audi Sport, this is instrumental in, in getting uh, this human factor to work is uh, the way the chemistry, the way you get these people to to, let's say, the drive uh, working perfectly together. Thank you again, Tom. That's our podcast wrap for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. Jake Boxall-Legg explains the changes that Barcelona needs to provide a modern-day Formula 1 spectacle. Matt Q looks at how Monaco dealt Formula E a winning hand to cure its hangover. And Stefan Mackley talks to Danny Winstanley, a catering king on a mission to conquer one-make national racing. We think it's the best motorsport writing out there, but judge for yourself with half-price access. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use the promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today and we'll be back soon with another Autosport Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.